You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Create Photography Retreat. If you've been listening to the Improved Photography Podcast, which is now the Master Photography Podcast for a while, you've heard us talk about attending a conference as one of the best ways to make your photography better. Imagine how much better you'd get and how much more you'd learn if you took a break away from everything and spent three days surrounded by photographers all working towards mastering their craft just like you are. The retreat's being held in Las Vegas in 2019, and if you sign up today, you can get early bird pricing of a ticket for only $387. That price isn't going to last long, so you should head over to createphotographyretreat.com and sign up today. Again, that's createphotographyretreat.com, and Connor and I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. We've made it, Connor. The rebranding is complete <laughs> as the Improved Photography Podcast has now become the Master Photography Podcast. And we want to thank all of you so much for sticking with us as we made this transition. Hopefully, there wasn't much work on your part. We, I, tr I tried really hard <laughs> to make sure that none of you listeners had to do anything. It just happened for you. And I think we were able to be successful. I haven't heard of anyone having any problems. So I, I hope that's the case. We're so excited about the future of all the shows on the Master Photography Podcast network. You are joined today by thousands of photographers who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode. And joining me at the roundtable today is my good friend and co-host of the Portrait Session podcast, Connor Hibbs. How are you, Connor? I'm doing really well, Jeff. How are you doing? Doing great. Although I I'm, I know you've been under the weather a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, had a rough night last night and just not feeling great today. But that's okay. I, I'll be a little bit lower energy, but I'll still be here. And <laughs> I'm excited to talk about today's subjects. Excellent. And I really need the help today because this is a topic I just don't know that much about. But boy, I, I just couldn't wait to talk about it because... Well, in a way, it's made me sad, and we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, some of it, it's been making me sad. Okay, so the topic of this episode is uh, a recent news story um, in the photography world about Tony and Chelsea Northrup. Or, I love their stuff. They're great. Um, they recently got a $60,000 settlement for a stolen photo. And that's, man, is that an attention-grabbing headline? And, yeah. uh, and I kind of, but I wanted to go into it because there's a lot more to the story than just the fact that they got this $60,000 settlement. So I, I want to go over that. And so let, let's just go into it. They, they actually didn't get a full $60,000, which is why the, it's like a attention-grabbing headline might be yeah. a little misleading. That's, that's how much the, the gross of the settlement yeah, was. Yeah, it, it's a little bit fees. clickbaity. <laughs> but uh, but there's it, it's a good thing to talk through. And I don't think that was, I mean, obviously they want they want an audience. They want to draw some attention to, uh, to their content creation and and that everyone does that we do that so um so but there's a lot to the story here so let, let's go into the story now let's recap it it's going to take a while it's like the bulk of the episode is going to be kind of recapping the story and and our providing some commentary about things but the northrops they've done a, a super good job of kind of presenting all of this in their own words too which i'll definitely put a link to in the show notes they have a twice monthly podcast uh, video cast thing 
mainly uh, YouTube that you're going to want to check it out. But it's called Picture This Photography Podcast. I'll put a link to the YouTube video where they talk specifically about this settlement and they go through all the details in more than I'm going to here. But the Northrop's do a lot of really great work uh, between the podcast and the other shows, YouTube, books and training and, and um, other projects. Um, they're seriously good photographers, and but they're they're even very down to earth. I just love kind of the way that they present things, and uh, big fans of of both Tony and Chelsea. Um, Tony used to work for Microsoft, so he's got a really geeky side to him too, which <laughs> <laughs> which appeals to me since I'm the geek of the Master Photography Podcast. Uh, anyway, they're they're very well known photographers, and that actually the reason I bring that up is it ha- it, pl- it plays a role in this story. They've got a, a international audience, and um, well, so some, sometime in I think it was 2016, they got sent a photo from a listener of theirs in Australia. This listener was yeah. in Australia, and the photo was a mobile phone case that was being sold in a retail store there in Australia with Chelsea's face on it, <laughs> and and, uh, and this particular photo was a very distinctive photo because it was the result of like a big project they had and, and a huge team effort. They got together. They did like tons of planning and teamwork around creating this portrait of Chelsea um, because they were going to put it on the cover of a book they were publishing. They put out books every couple of years and and they, they take it. She's usually on the cover. Um, don't have to pay a model <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because she's, she's one of them. And, um, and the portrait, this one in particular, included this really distinctive catch light in her eyes. Uh, something they custom built for this photo shoot. And they're when they, they go into, they have an entire podcast episode even on just that and, and what they did to, to create that portrait. Anyway, it makes a very distinctive photo. And they on purpose made a de- very deliberate decision. They were not going to sell this photo. They wanted it to be the brand for this book. And they didn't want it to be anywhere else. They didn't. They wanted to control the brand and make sure that it didn't happen anywhere else. So they didn't put it on any stock sites. It wasn't licensed to anybody else for any other purpose. It was going to be solely used for this book. That was a very deliberate decision they make. And now here's this photo <laughs> from, from Australia <laughs> of a phone case with the exact same photo. And it's so distinctive. There's just there's no way anyone could argue it's not the same photo. It's the same person it's the same uh, catch light in the eye that's super distinctive there's just no question and, and of course nobody's going to be able to argue that they didn't steal the photo and and i i want to get a point of clarification in here um so i've i've actually not dug totally deep into the story is the the photo actually physically on the phone case or is it just like on the packaging that's selling no the no phone it, case? it is the phone case like when you put it on your phone there's going to be this fo- this really really nice portrait as is on the back of your phone so that just seems weird to me who wants to buy a phone case with someone just a else's face picture on it, on it? yeah <laughs> I don't know. I guess maybe in Australia, New Zealand, maybe it's a little yeah, different things market. Go differently, though. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I I don't like anything on my phone case. I want it to be yeah. bland and plain. But you know, whatever. They, people do. There different are certainly strokes. lots of people who like different phone cases. Yeah, some some teenage girls love all that bedazzled whatever stuff Everything, all yeah. over it. Yeah, glittery. They, they, want, and, they want a hamburger phone case that's twice the size of the phone. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. All right. So so just crazy to them they're like what how did this phone case get made in australia with our photo on it so tony 
got the, uh, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to email him about it. So he, <laughs> he writes an email to the company. He had to figure out who it was that was producing it. And the listener in Australia helped them with that. They, he got them and they got them information about the company. And, and so he, he emails them. And he's approaching this like he does a lot of this. They they get photos stolen fairly regularly because of the very public nature of these photographers and, and kind of the mainstream media outlet that they are. They they have lots of photos. They're very good, too. But they get they get infringed. Their photos get infringed fairly regularly. And they do a lot of negotiation with people when it comes to the infringement. So he sends out kind of a normal email uh, just and, and he asked for two pieces of information. There was a lot more wording to it, but basically asked, how many of these phone cases did you manufacture and how many have you sold? And kind of laying the groundwork for a discussion about compensation um, and what they're going to do to compensate the photographers and and make it happen as they should have in the first place to try to license the photo, even though they wouldn't have ever given them the license um, because they, they made that decision a, a while before this, that they were not going to license this photo to anybody else. They were only going to use it for their book. All right. So he sends this off and he doesn't hear for weeks, <laughs> like just nothing. Uh, so weeks later he gets an email back and it's from a lawyer. It's not from the company. It's from a lawyer. And immediately he says in the video, Tony says, oh, I was just like, why? Why did you go to the lawyer right off? Please don't bring the lawyers in if we don't have to. Um, and, and I love how they discussed, they walked through it. But I kind of want to pause in the story at this point and share kind of a personal experience that I think illustrates a little bit the same thing, because I totally agree with Tony. If I can, I don't want to bring lawyers into the equation. Um, and, and so here, here's my story. So I um, I built my the first house ever. We're living in a house that we, we built uh, four years ago. And I will never build again because I hated it. <laughs> It, it is a terrible thing to go through. If you're not somehow in the industry of building houses and have some knowledge about it somehow, uh, which I don't. I'm, I'm a computer guy. I do like information security in my day job and photography as a hobby. And I have nothing to do with building houses ever. And um, so I, I had to hire a contractor, which most people do. And I don't know. It, it's maybe it's it's kind of unique to me. Although a lot of people in this in my neighborhood here all built their houses, and they mostly have similar stories. So I, I think it kind of goes the same way. And unless you're in the industry, it's it's kind of a struggle. Anyway, we get to the end of building the house. It was a massive process that I hated, and uh, we're in the house, like we're moved in, and we get contacted. I think it was maybe two or three subcontractors who did pieces of building the house who contacted us afterwards and said, Hey, we never got paid. I'm like, what? How did you never get paid? I have a big old mortgage that says you got paid. <laughs> and uh, someone got paid. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I looked, worked with the contract. They're like, yeah, we didn't pay him. We didn't put him in the mortgage. And um, I'm like, what? How does this happen? So I guess it's just like the contractor was, they were building so many houses at once that they had a hard time organizing everything, keeping track of even all the invoices, which ones they've paid, which ones they haven't and stuff fell through the cracks. And so, uh, we, we ended up paying them out of our own pocket, um, and, and paid these, these couple of contractors that, uh, subcontractors that contacted us after we were already moved in the house. So that goes by and it, it's three months later or at least more than 90 days. I can't remember how long. And I get a knock at the door 
and standing on my doorstep is an armed police officer <laughs> and, oh. and i like okay what's up because this is not normal to have someone standing on my, my uh, armed officer on my doorstep and he says i need to have you sign this I'm like what the heck is this so i he's i look at it it's, I, I don't remember what the legal term was I, my memory says it was an affidavit but i, I can't remember what it is but it, it's yeah. essentially some document saying i received this thing and the officer was there to make sure that I did. <laughs> and and they, they'll have evidence and proof that I received the document. All right. And in the document, it says, this is yet another subcontractor who did not get paid. And I was like, wait, why did they send a armed policeman <laughs> to my house <laughs> to make sure that I knew I had this? The others contacted me and we worked it out. And... My reaction, and the reason I bring this story up here, is my reaction was entirely different to this one. Because with the other ones, it's like, oh, mistakes were made. We'll work with you. And we figured out how we were going to get them paid. With this one, my thought immediately was, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. I want to fight this. Because they went super aggressive right out of the gate. Instead of calling and trying to work it out and say, you know, mistakes were made. It made me look, and, and this was a while longer, so maybe if, it, if they'd have done this uh, within the time frame that the others had, but this was several weeks or months after those others had contacted me. So these guys were like way behind it. It also happened to coincide with the Christmas time, so we weren't wanting to pay anything else out at Christmas time either. Anyway, uh, my mindset was just totally different with the approach to this one. And I, w I immediately set out to work like, what can I do to fight this? <laughs> <laughs> Do I have any options? And it turned out that at least the laws here in Utah, I have no idea if it's anywhere else, but at least where I am, um, it's illegal to put a lien on somebody's house for uh, work not paid for um, after 90 days um, after the certificate of occupancy has been issued. And we'd been in the house for more than 90 days. It was quite a bit more as I remember it, but I don't remember how long. Anyway, yeah. it had been 90 days. It had been more than my 90 days. That's the only, that's the, t the window that contractors have to file claims like this and put liens on your house. And so uh, it also turns out that the law states that if an illegal lien has been put on your house, you can sue the company that put the lien on the house for twice of the amount of the lien. So that's exactly what I did. I found a template online. Everything's online. So, so I went and searched and found a template and, uh, and it had all the legalese in there of, of, uh, you know, you got to cease and desist and you got to not do this lien or I'm going to sue you for twice the amount. And I have the certificate of occupancy and I sent that well, along with the certificate off. I just mailed it though. I didn't make a police officer take it to them. <laughs> I just mailed it to them. And, uh, and then they called, you know, several days later they called like, yeah, okay, we got your letter. You're right. We can't do the lien, but we want to pursue the contractor criminally because, uh, they didn't pay us on multiple contracts. And, uh, and we want to go after him. And I said, nope. <laughs> after all of this, <laughs> I am not helping serious? you. And my attitude might have been totally different if they didn't send a cop to my doorstep to like force this thing down my throat and try to... It felt like extortion almost. It was... Ah, I just... I responded so differently. And I think it's it applies a, a lot the same way with as you're going after someone for a stolen photo. If you go right out of the gate with here's my lawyer, we're going to make you pay. 
that makes them, it forces them into a situation where they're going to say, well, then I'm getting my own lawyer and we're going to get draw our sword <laughs> and we're going to yeah. defend ourselves. Um, I mean, I, I honestly, I, looking at this, I can't even blame the other company for having consulted a lawyer because you have somebody contacting you saying, hey, pay me so much money. And if you're not sure about that, I understand contacting a lawyer, but don't have them be the person that's then interacting for you to say, OK, like, what should I say back? Get like get some legal advice. And before you pull the lawyer in where you are very clearly on the front of this interaction dealing with lawyers, I, just not the best step to have taken. Yeah. So, I mean, Tony explained it really well in the video of like, what were, as soon as they bring a lawyer into the equation, they know it's now going to cost them more money to deal with this. Like right yeah. off the bat, I have a lawyer I have to pay and maybe they have them on retainer and they're just using a retainer. Who knows? But it's just, He's like, why? Why did you respond with a lawyer? If we could have worked this out, it might have cost you less money. We probably still would have received more of the money. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But um, Connor, have you ever had to start a conversation with a person or company about your own photo being stolen? You know, it's it's interesting because I would say yes and no. Um, the thing is, the one time that comes to mind is... Um, a company that I do a lot of work for used a photo that they hadn't hired me to shoot. It was just something else that I had shot and they used it for, uh, I don't even remember what, a, a website or a pamphlet or something. It, it wasn't pamphlet because it wasn't something that couldn't be undone. And um, I did have to approach them in that case. It wasn't somebody where I could kind of come out right away and be a little bit more stern with them. There's somebody that I wanted to keep as a client. So uh, <laughs> okay. I, I had to just go and say, Hey, you know, I'm sure that this was just an oversight. I, I, I try and play a little bit coy where I'm like, I, I don't know if you know this, but I mean, this is a photo that you didn't pay me for. And all the other work that you do post that I don't have any problem with is stuff that you do. So just because I work with you doesn't mean that you just have right. the right to use any of my work. Um, and uh, they, they were actually very polite about it. And, um, they they offered to pay me for the usage of the photo, um, but they were also not super familiar with how usage worked, so I had to go through that kind of conversation as well. But thankfully, in my instance, the one time that I've been at, at least been aware of the fact that my photo was being used, um, I, I was able to very peacefully and kindly uh, direct them in the right way and didn't really hurt our business relationship at all. In fact, they were very apologetic. Or they're like, oh, I'm sorry, we didn't really realize that. And um, they wanted to make sure that they were doing everything right right in their book after that. Okay. Okay. So, and how, you found it because they shared it on social media and you saw them share it? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I work with the company a lot. So I follow their, their social media pages because right. a lot of my work gets posted there and I just happened to see it and went, oh, wait a minute. That's, that's my work. And they, that is not anything that they had hired me for. So I was able to find it. It wasn't somebody else bringing it to my attention or anything like that. Okay. So I, I, I've also, I've had some photos stolen. Uh, <clears throat> my experience though was much, uh, it was, it was strange. So I have, I've had sto photos taken from Instagram, which is, I think probably a <laughs> given just people think yeah. if it's on Instagram, you can use it. Just it's free. <laughs> yeah. And absolutely. so, so I, I, I took some photos of a relative of mine actually, um, who, who got married and, uh, I, they didn't actually hire a photographer for their wedding. It was kind of, it was like a, a second marriage. And anyway, 
more of like a renewing yeah. of vows than it was. Um, and so, so they didn't hire anyone, but I brought my camera and I figured I'd offer to take a couple of shots afterwards. And I, I was, it was early on and as I was doing photography, so I kind of wanted to practice. <laughs> so this would be a low pressure situation where like, Hey, can I take some shots? And, and, uh, they were uh, while they were all dressed up. And so we did. And, and it was a wedding. They did this on Valentine's day. They renewed their vows on Valentine's day. And, uh, so my wife, who's very good at this, she had them do some poses that helped. One of them was to have both of their hands put together so that it made like a heart shape. Yeah. And then, um, with them behind it as they were kissing. And so really cute photo and it worked really well. And so I posted that on Instagram and, uh, a little while later, someone had sent me, it was just a friend of mine sent me, um, something they saw on a website, um, where my Instagram photo of this couple was on their website. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> and so so I looked into it and yeah, they'd just taken it right out of actually they hadn't even taken it out of Instagram. They were referencing from their website that like the link to the image was the Instagram feed. <laughs> Oh my! God. So, so they they didn't actually pull it out of Instagram, but it was being shown on their website. So yeah. I I tried to contact them, and I just I never heard a word about it. And I was like, well, I don't know what else to do. I didn't want to try. I I didn't even think of going the legal a, a lawyer route or anything. So I just I gave up after trying to contact them. The second well, one, and, go ahead. Oh. What what I was gonna say there is that um, I when you mentioned the Instagram I, I immediately had four or five different stories of things like that <laughs> that happened to me that popped into my mind and the the problem with that is that unless you can if if you haven't filed with the copyright office which we're gonna talk about in a little bit here yeah um, yeah all you can do is sue a company up to the damages that were caused um, damages being you know whatever money you would have made from them using that so in the instances that I can think of where somebody has without asking reposted my images places um, like a blog or on on their Instagram every single time it was never somebody that I, I was confident was making money at all for right this. right I'm sure um, they weren't and it's so you're like okay well I could have charged them but they wouldn't have but i know that that's not really the, the the case like realistically i could sue them but how much would i have charged a company that wasn't really right going to be benefiting from this um so it, it makes it kind of hard to say it's even worth pursuing legal action when it's something that you're talking maybe a few hundred dollars not even thousands of dollars um for some of these more minor infractions right right um, right the the other one that I had talked about was a company that was larger and definitely does make money. And I know that. Um, so I had the, uh, not that I would have gone and sued them anyway, but I have a nice rapport with them. Um, right. so I knew that something was going to work out, but had that been the ugly truth of, of the matter and that uh, they weren't a client and I had to sue them, like I could have probably actually made something off of that even after getting lawyers involved. So I, it makes it kind of hard when you're like, yeah, there's just such, it's, such a small infraction that I'm unhappy about this, but what else do I do? Right. Yeah. So I, I think even finding out about the infringement is a challenge. And I know there's some yeah. services like Pixie is a common one that's been talked about. I, I signed up there and they also found some places where my photos had been, been used and uh, you know, they offer to help and I, I don't know how well that works. I, I figure my work is not 
infringed upon enough <laughs> to <laughs> to actually have it be worth doing a lot of pursuing of of the infringement. Uh, yeah, but I I don't know. So finding even finding out is is a challenge. But let's let's continue on with the story. Let's finish up the story of of the Northrop's here and what happened. And then we're going to talk about copyright. Okay, yeah. so so Tony responds. You know, they lawyered up. <clears throat> they uh, they drew their sword, and <laughs> and now he has to reply. And uh, the lawyer says, absolutely agree. This is infringement. Um, we outsourced the design of the phone case, and that designer obviously didn't do what they should in licensing the art they used. Sorry about that. We're gonna we're gonna recall and destroy the cases. Um, and we hope <laughs> okay. that we'll hope that'll be good. And Tony's like, no, that's not good enough because I want to know, you still didn't answer my two questions. I want to know how many of these things were made and how many of you sold, uh, so that they can talk a compensation amount. Yeah. <clears throat> and now that lawyers are involved, he's already saying, I'm not going to see even half of it. <laughs> so he's thinking that. All right. So, so he keeps corresponding with this and he had to go find a law firm to take the case, which was tough because it's international. And so he even like he directly contacted, I think he said eight different lawyers in Australia. None of them would take the case. They're like, Ooh, international copyright. No, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he had to go through, he called them a middleman. He didn't want to name the company cause he's not sure that they're the best option. Even he didn't want to give them any advertising or, or even imply that he was recommending somebody to help with the situation like this. But he did find a middleman. He called them to um, take on the case. And the agreement was they're going to take half. So right off the front, this middleman is going to take half of whatever the Northrop's themselves were, were going to get. So that's after whatever other fees are out of uh, taken out and, and whatever lawyers are involved, they're going to take half of the remaining. And so he's like, fine, I'm, I don't know how else I'm going to do this. They lawyered up. I got to get a lawyer. So uh, so they did. And then this this middleman found a lawyer in Australia that was willing to, to do the case with the middleman working with them. And so they did it and they, they had a ton of back and forth and all along the way. So they, they you know, they claimed we're going to recall and destroy these phone cases um, all along the way. Their their listeners from Australia and New Zealand about every couple of weeks are sending them photos of these cases. They didn't know, like the listeners didn't know that the lawsuit was going on or that they were working in this case. They're just listeners are like, hey, I recognize this this photo from your book cover. <laughs> Did you know it's out here? And all along the time, they're thinking, I'm so glad we have these listeners who, who can find that the company's not even making efforts to recall and destroy the cases, or at least not good enough because they're still in these retail stores. And it's yeah. months later all right so a year later they finally get a settlement decided the the lawyers all work it out to where they're going to get four payments of ten thousand australian dollars that are going to be paid and that means the lawyers and middlemen have to take their cut first so um, the reason, so 10K, four payments, that's only 40K. The reason that they said this was probably about around a $60,000 settlement is they're assuming the company had about $20,000 in lawyer fees on their side. So to the company, the cost of this infringement was probably around $60,000 for the, to, to use this photo on phone cases. Um, and then the percentage that they actually got after the cuts from the lawyers and the middleman and uh, doing the conversion to U.S. dollars, 
it was only 13% of that. They got about 7,500 bucks. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, 40,000 40, in Australian isn't even, I, I don't know nope. what the exact conversion is, but it's nowhere near 40,000 in American. Even. No, right. Right. So, um, you know, all of that effort, all year long thing, exchanging messages with lawyers and and get, getting constant reminders from the listeners. And they only made out with about seventy five hundred dollars after pursuing this infringement. Ugh. And, you know, it's the principle of the thing was was a big reason. They, they knew as soon as the lawyers got involved, they've had enough experience with this that financially was not going to be a big windfall for them. Wasn't going to make a lot of sense to even do it for, for the um, time investment they made for a year and only get seventy five hundred dollars. That's a very low compensation for your time in, in that, uh, to do that. Uh, but they want, you know, they, they, they've got to make people, companies realize that just because they can get to a photo doesn't mean they can use it. And, yeah. um, so it, it, in their minds, it was worth pursuing it if for no other reason, just to try to make companies realize they've got to go through proper channels and make sure it's licensed. In the case of this designer, they should have done better due diligence and made sure that the designer attested, and maybe they could have even had a contract there, like you are attesting that you have properly licensed all this art. And if it's not, it's on you. <laughs> yeah, um, That would have been a, a better thing to have. But most of the companies, they, they don't know that. They're focused on like this one in particular, they're focused on the manufacturing of the case, on the pack packaging, on the uh, advertising, and on the distribution out to retailers. They didn't even do, want to do it. Obviously, they outsourced the design of the case to someone else. So that part of it, they didn't want to deal with, and they, they didn't have the expertise, and it, it hurt them here because they ended up having to pay this amount. All right. So the the couple of things that... And the reason I say this story makes me sad. <laughs> uh, first off... <laughs> How am I supposed to even know if my photos are being infringed upon? They wouldn't have... It took an international audience that they had and could leverage to be able to find out this was happening in Australia, New Zealand. How is a normal photographer supposed to do that? You know, it's... Yeah, that's... (laughs) Hard, if not impossible, especially when you're yeah. talking about printing physical products where it's not something that you could maybe do, do a reverse image search and find it being used right. on the web. If it's if it's something that's being printed on a physical product, yeah, that makes it very hard to yeah. um, to so, find out so what there's kind that of aspect are of happening. It. Like most of us don't have an, that's, that's an aspect. Most of us don't have an international audience to help us be our eyes and ears out there looking for our photos to, yeah. to being infringed upon. There's sort of like the reverse uh, image lookup. If you go drop your photo and do a Google search, it will do that for you and find places where that same photo exists. It's a, it's a pretty easy, free way to be able to try to catch some of this. There's services like we mentioned, Pixie, and, and I think there's some others. Um, so I guess there's some of those options, but it's, it just makes me sad because I don't see how it's really a practical thing for me to even know that it's been infringed. And then in the rare case where I might find out, what am I going to do about it? It's, yeah, I, I'm just struggling with what, how am I going to make that matter? Um, I tried a few times, like I said, well, the one time to, uh, to write and ask the company about it or the person about it. And I just never heard back and I didn't want to go get a lawyer involved and potentially have to pay them and get nothing out of it. That would be even more, even worse than getting very little money out of it would be getting, paying for it, (laughs) paying for the the investigation and and not having anything happen. So, so so this is definitely, um, it, you know, it's it's 
a case where this is extra complicated because it's an international case, um, because it's something that was happening uh, on other sides of the world. Um, there are, in doing some research on this, there are a lot of agreements between multiple countries that um, many of the the industrialized nations of the world will hold up U.S. copyright um, infringements or U.S. copyright laws. But at the same time, it's still incredibly hard to then pursue that because you have to find lawyers that are able to. Obviously, in this instance, they ended up having to pay their lawyers a lot to pursue something like this. And then you have to find all of the infringements. So I think that talking about international infringements, it it makes everything just that much more complicated. Um, But one thing that we can do is is pay attention on uh, a a national levels in country. It's still very complicated. Um, You actually literally have to make it a federal case to bring up a copyright (laughs) infringement infringement problem with other people. Um, And, and the one thing that I would say that anybody listening to this, if, if this scares you at all, um, obviously going and filing your um, images with the U S copyright office is, is one great solution. Um, an important thing to do at least for the photos that you feel like are, are worth something to you. But also, um, I, I want to encourage everybody here to contact their local representatives to go in and support the case act of 2017. Um, that is also known as HR three, nine, four, five. And the case act is, um, it's, it's a proposed piece of legislation that will essentially establish a um, a pathway for small businesses to be able to um, settle things in a small claims fashion. Um, so it, I, I think that when I was reading through this legislation, it has to do with actually hiring people at the um, copyright office or maybe it's at the Library of Congress. I don't remember the exact specifics of it, um, but they will hire a, a team of professionals that will specifically just be dealing with small claims instances where you won't have to lo- lawyer up and take it to court and do a huge, huge, um, big to do out of everything in order to get claims filed. The, the problem is, um, even though this is a totally nonpartisan issue, this is not something that you can really say one way or the other is, is a political party thing. And, um, while the bill has, or while the legislation has support from both Democrats and Republicans in our country, um, it was proposed by a Democrat, which currently in our, our current climate uh, makes it less likely to get any kind of attention. And I've been in doing some digging here. I, I've seen a lot of um, analyses that say that it has about a 5% chance of being passed <laughs> just because it's not something that is a huge issue to anybody that's uh, any of the lawmakers. So something that I want to encourage everybody to do is uh, look up some information on the case act of 2017. You'll see that realistically as small business owners, as creatives, even if you're a hobbyist, it, it will benefit you to have this kind of legislation passed. And if you agree with that, then contact your representatives. I've done that in my state. Unfortunately, um, some of the representatives that we have here tend to um, just send off a, yeah, sorry, like we're not going to read this you can read about our stances elsewhere but um, we get a lot of contact which is understandable but also a little bit frustrating Um, but but do what you can try and contact your representatives and just say that this is something that is important to you the case act of 2017 again that's hr 3945 would significantly change the way in which any of us people are able to pursue these matters and the thing is as it currently stands if you're not a large well-established photographer with the money to be able to hire lawyers if 
you don't have a super obvious solid case, it's nearly impossible to actually um, follow through with any kind of le- legislation or not um, legal. Um, the where am I going with that? Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it is litigate. hard to pursue it from a legal standpoint. <laughs> um, yes, you can't litigate it very easily because, as I yeah. said, you have to make it into a federal case for anything to actually happen. So this this would technically still be a federal case because it's a, a federal officers that would be um, ruling over this, but it makes a, a pathway for small claims of And I, I think that the current limit right now is if your infringement is less than it, I don't remember exactly how much, but it's something in the thousands, maybe 5,000 to $10,000. If your uh-huh. infringement is less than that, you're actually not even allowed to file something federally. Um, so this would be taking care of any kind of cases below that benchmark and would make it much faster and easier. You don't have to hire lawyers in order to have something settled. Um, so yeah, I, that's my piece there. And that's why Tony pointed out, like, don't lawyer up at first, just try to negotiate with these, you know, with whoever's infringing on it, assume that they did it not out of willful, uh, violations of anything, but because they made a mistake, like somebody in this case, the company probably did just make an honest mistake and they didn't, the designer, uh, maybe they went through multiple iterations of ideas for the case and they were going to wait to license the photo until they made a final decision. And then they didn't, you know, they just kind of missed that step at the end. Um, it could just be a very honest mistake. And if you just contact them and say, Hey, we need to work out licensing of the photo that you used, then maybe you're going to actually have a response that way. Whereas if it's the lawyer right out of the get go or the armed police officer on the doorstep right out of the get go, people react very differently when you, when you go out of that way. All right. So, yeah. so there is, there's that approach. It just, just try to contact them. If you don't hear, yeah, that's a problem. And, and it made me give up, but, um, if you do need to, like if it's a big enough case that you really do need to get a lawyer involved and you need to to make your case, your case is strengthened significantly by doing by registering your images at the copyright office. So yep. I wanted to go over real briefly kind of what the process is for that. So anybody can sign up. You can go and log in. There's no requirements of being like a company or a, a sole proprietor or just a personal login. All you need is like an email address name, um, they ask for uh, like your address, I think, if I remember right. Yeah. And do. and you go sign up. Free to, free to sign up. All right. So then in order to actually submit your photos to be copyrighted, you have to follow a pretty uh, detailed process here. Um, <laughs> some of it feels a little archaic to me too. Like, uh, anyway, oh, I agree. So here, yeah. here, here's, here's the, I'll put a link to the show notes of, of what the full requirements are and how you have to do it. But here's from their website, some of the points that they have on what you have to do. So you have all of the works in the group. So, you, oh, sorry, you can submit a total of uh, 750 photos in a group. So all of the works in the group must be photographs. All of the photographs must be published in the same calendar year. That's the published date, which I didn't ever find a really good definition of what solid definition of what published means. Yeah. So I'm assuming that's like you put it out on your website for the purposes of this conversation, but I couldn't find anywhere on their site. I went through it just like the last couple of days. I don't see any specific definition that talks about what published means for a photographer. 
And and uh, an, another little note in that point is you can actually um, file both published and unpublished works. So I, I would say it's safe to assume that if you've put it out publicly, that counts as published. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, right, and they they have different guidelines for unpublished photos. You have to. Yeah, there's some and, different and, things you have to do. Yeah, you have to group them differently. So anything that's been published has to be solely with other images that have been published. Any images that have been unpublished have to be separated and kept with other photos that are unpublished. Um, So you can't just pick out the 750 best photographs of this year that you want to make sure you have copyright written um, and have a mixture of stuff that you've put online and stuff that isn't. You have to keep those things separately for some reason. All right. So they have to be published in the same calendar year. When you're going to do this group up to 750 per group has to be all of the 750 have to be published in the same year. Then all the photographs must be created by the same author. The copyright claimant for each photograph must be the same person or organization. The application applicant must provide a title for the group. The applicant must provide a sequentially numbered list containing a title, file name, and month year of publication for each photograph in the group. And the copyright office has developed a template that can be used for this. They have an Excel spreadsheet that you can download from the website. And they strongly encourage you to prepare that list using that spreadsheet as before you even go to try to do the application. Which there's part of the archaic process to me right there. Like <laughs> yep. they're assuming everyone's got Excel to go fill this out. <laughs> and you can do it. They said Excel or PDF. Oh, that makes it a lot easier to produce a PDF of your list. Yeah. But you got to go through this and itemize every all 750 of the photos in the group, giving them name, file name and month year of publication. Each of the photos that are submitted have to be in the JPEG, GIF or TIFF format. But here's where it's really a struggle. You uh, So you upload a zip file that has all 750, up to 750 photos in the zip. But the zip file itself has to be less than 500 megabytes when it's done. And so that, that means roughly if you put a full 750 photos in there, they're going to have to be about 650 bytes, which if you're not real good with the megabytes, bytes stuff... Uh, it's hard to say because JPEG compresses differently, but it's roughly between maybe four to five megapixels in size is all that you get per photo. So you're going to have to downsize like most of your cameras today are way more than four to five megapixels and you're going to have to downsize your photos pretty significantly in order to send them. Um, or you can split it up. Like if you want higher quality photos to be sent to them to for, for the copyright, then you can split it up. But every group that you submit costs $55 to submit. So there's there's a bunch of restrictions there and what you have to do. So then they, they you do this through, um, it's called the US ECO for Electronic Copyright Office. And uh, you go through and it's a very old looking website <laughs> that you go and, and use to upgrade up to do this. So you'd prepare your Excel spreadsheet. You'd create a zip file with your photos in it. Then you go to their website, you sign in, you upload your files, you pay your $55 and then they'll get to the copyright at some point. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, uh, no uh, time frame promised. It's just at some point your photos will be copyrighted. I, I actually I saw it wasn't on the official government site, but I saw some other estimates that um, it was somehow linked with it that said it it takes eight months to twelve months for okay. for everything to be processed. <laughs> um, right, but the thing so. is, if you've already submitted the application beforehand, um, even if something in 
in that period of time if an infringement happens right uh, because it's already been submitted it would count you're good during you're that covered. time okay yeah. so that it's it's a fair amount of work to do this yes. that's that's not trivial it's going to take some time for you to go through and do it so my question is why would a photographer go through this effort connor um so the the main reason to go through this effort is just the the legal protection that you end up getting from doing it um so as as you mentioned earlier any kind of copyright infringement claims are greatly strengthened by having somebody by someone who has filed with the copyright office um Technically, the second that you you click the shutter, the copyright is yours. You're you're the person right. that's created it. You have a copyright. The, the differences here are that um, as far as being able to pursue litigation with this, um, if you don't have your images filed with the copyright office, you can only sue up to the damages that w- the the real damages that were created by this infringement. So if they, in the case of the Northrops, if they printed your photo on phone cases and you know that okay licensing for however many phone cases they produced and sold would be this much that is the amount that you could potentially sue for um and i I think that there's actually a cap on that as well of it i don't i I don't want to throw out a number but it's somewhere in the lower double digits um double digit thousands Mm -hmm. um and then if you actually have a copyright um, filed with the copyright office, you can actually sue beyond real damages to perceive damages, or I don't know what the technical term for it would be, um, but the limit of that is actually $150,000. So there's there's a pretty big difference there if you have images that are worth protecting in that capacity. Um, why would a photographer go to this effort? Because their work is valuable, and, it, and it's an important thing to uh, keep on top of every once in a while. I personally, um, I, I haven't done this for a number of years. In fact, the last time I did it, it was even before they had any kind of web submission available, uh, or at least I, if there was a web submission available, it was very unclear that that was the case. Um, uh-huh. when I did it, I had to actually file by sending in, um, a, a, a physical printed, um, now I'm forgetting the word, um, a, printed proof sheet contact sheet contact sheet that's the word um yeah so i had to send in a contact sheet and the the limits on it were still pretty high you could send in a lot of photos um but you had to have them all printed on like one sheet of paper um thankfully (laughs) yeah thankfully things have changed like they're accepting even if you were to file not through um not through this digital online application. You can send them a CD or a flash drive in the mail and that uh-huh. will count towards it. It takes longer if you want to send something physically in and costs, I think, $10 more. I think it's $65 to submit rather than 55 and it still has that 750 image limit on it. Um, but yeah, when, when I filed, just it, it was probably close to a decade ago when I was first starting before I really had any real reason to file with the copyright right, office. Right. Um, didn't think anybody would act. Well, now I don't think anybody would have ever cared to infringe on my copyright there. But um, I did it just for the practice of knowing how to do it. And now, thankfully, things have become much easier. 
Okay. The, the main reason to do this now is if you're publishing work that you feel like somebody might actually steal, um, I wouldn't worry too much about stuff that you haven't published, stuff that's just sitting on a drive. Um, but anything that you're putting out there into the public domain, I would consider maybe once a year. Um, yeah, yeah. Just, just pulling off all of all of those photos and sending in um, and filing. It keeps you protected. It makes any case that you have for your copyright that much stronger and allows you to sue for more if you need to. Right. It's easier to convince a lawyer to take your case. If you've got copyright on the image and you can prove yeah. it with this, then that's way easier to convince a lawyer to take your case. I don't know if the Northrop, they didn't mention if they had copyright filed on this image or not to, to know if that played into this. Uh, but it, it, it would make the sad story that I like, I said, it's made me sad. Well, I would have a better chance if I copyright, I've never done this. I've never copyrighted any of my photos yet. Um, but I think I'm going to incorporate that into my annual top 10 process. Which if yeah. you haven't heard about that, that's uh, you can go photo taco and search for top 10. And every year it's a, it's an exercise I go through. It helps me to improve my photography is the most, <laughs> the biggest reason I do it. It's part of my journey in, in mastering photography. But uh, now I could probably take any of the photos that I thought qualified for contention for top 10, even if they didn't make the cut, I end up with, you know, three, 400 photos through the year that I, I want to evaluate and see if they'll make make which of those are going to make it into my top 10. I could take those three or 400 photos that were decent enough to be in a conversation for my top 10 and copyright those. So yeah, it might not be absolutely. a bad thing to do. And I do it in December. So, um, it would be, that would work. I'd, I'd have all the photos for that year that are in it and that'd be a, a decent idea. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that would be a good plan for photographers and something you might want to consider. Um, all right, so let's wrap up the show here. Let's go to doodads of the week. Connor, what do you have for us? So my doodad was actually stolen by you, Jeff. So I had to use my backup <laughs> um, to my doodads, which funny enough, it, my backup is called Carbon Copy Cloner. Um, this is actually a piece of software that you turned me on to. Um, Jeff after having my most recent issues with my hard drive and yep. it's just it's a piece of software I think it, it costs about $35 $40 somewhere in there. I already forgot um, But it all it does is it allows me to have two external hard drives plugged into my my machine at any time um, Or at least this is the way that I'm using it and it will Automatically clone one of those drives to the other drive um, there there is the possibility of setting up a raid system so you could have two different hard drives connected and it appears on your system as a single drive um the issue with that and, and it'll, it'll make a redundant copy of any of your files onto the two of those drives the problem with that is if you happen to delete something off of that drive it'll delete it off of both of them so if you have an accident in that capacity um, you're going to lose that file where this system it allows me to set up different kinds of parameters so i have it hourly backing up um, from the main drive that i'm working on to this backup drive and when I delete something off of that main drive, the backup drive actually retains it. So I, I can set it to either retain it until the drive is full um, for a certain number of days. I have it set up so it's uh, being retained for about um, 30 days, I think, right now. And um, you can do this with multiple drives. So I have different kinds of recipes and parameters um, 
the two that I have connected, I want those to back up hourly. So I have a regular backup of everything that's on those files where I have my Drobo as well. And I have that set up to just do this kind of cloning onto the Drobo whenever I plug it in, which is meh, once a week, once every few months, <laughs> depends on how lazy I'm being. Um, and then when I build up my backup system even further, it'll just, uh, I'll be able to continue making, um, recipes based on that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just everything that I was looking for for that because it's a serious pain to try and try and maintain a backup, but you're only pulling over the files that you think you want. But then anytime you have updates to a folder, I've gone through and done a bunch of edits to this day of shooting here. And now I have a bunch of new files in there. I, I can't go through and copy each individual one of those files over and bring them over. So I just dragged the whole folder and let it update with whatever 40 gigs worth of information which takes a long time this is much faster it, it pops up every hour i have it so it shows me the notification of how much is being backed up every hour um when it finishes because i want to see and i say oh okay cool like it changed three gigabytes worth of stuff um in this last hour neat uh, makes stuff <laughs> just a little bit um easier on my life sure it looks like it's 40 bucks and it's carbon copy cloner version 5 is the most recent release so got it all right mine which i stole from connor and i think i've i've had this one before but listeners have been asking me about it a lot this week we've had a lot of topics uh come up about backup in general backup. so <laughs> backblaze is a online cloud backup service it's five dollars a month or fifty dollars for a year so you save what 10 bucks there if you do a year and it's yep. 95 dollars if you do it for two years so even a little more savings per month if you'd sign up for a two-year contract with them it's a cloud backup service that i personally have paid for and use so it's not an ad it's just a service that's worked really really well for me uh, it's the perfect solution for me because it's something that I just, I don't even have to think about. It just runs in the background and it just works. In fact, I've even done a test restore just to make sure it was all working. The last time I had to replace, like upgrade my uh, my hard drives, I was on a four terabyte drive and I wanted to go to six because I was outgrowing the four terabyte drive. Um, when I did that and I got new two new six terabyte drives, I decided to also test my restore process and make sure it worked. So I, I pulled down the data from Backblade as part of doing that and it all works great took some time because it takes a while to download like three four terabytes of data from a service but uh but it worked it was it works out well um lots of listeners on photo taco have been asking me about the service and if i have an affiliate link or a promo code of some kind but backblaze doesn't do promotions like that they're like hyper focused on making sure they keep their business profitable and they it's a good thing because they've seen a lot of their competition have to fold up and not offer the service anymore so they already have the price set as competitively as they can make it what they do have and it's open to everybody it's not unique to me is a referral kind of reward where if you can get other people to sign up for the service using your personal referral URL, then they will give you, the person who has the URL, a free month added to your service. So I will, I'll give you my link. It'll be in the show notes. It's their just normal referral service link. And if you sign up for Backblaze using my referral link, then I will get a free month added to my contract. So there you go. There's my doodad. Yeah, I, I recently started using this as well, and it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it works well. I know I, I've heard from some listeners that they've had some challenges. You're, when you have enough people using anything, people are going to have problems. So it's not going to be full, fail-proof, perfect, guaranteed, no problems. 
if enough people have uh, are using something, they will have problems. So, so yeah, there you go. I, we'll, we'll say <laughs> I've used other online backup systems before in the past, and then it kind of turned me off to the whole process to the point uh-huh. where I, I ended up losing a bunch of data recently because I wasn't using the one that I had paid for in the past. Um, and it backblaze seems great like the value is there five dollars a month is nothing at all um i mean totally worth it to maintain everything properly it has unlimited usage and you can actually set the parameters for uploads um the other service that i've used in the past they you had to actually pay like another twenty dollars to be able to access faster speeds and stuff so the first backup that i did took like six months for a not a huge drive either it took like six months for a small drive um just because i didn't want to pay that extra twenty dollars because i was being cheap at the time yeah. uh, but backblaze now is uh, definitely a fantastic company Yep. Good service. I can recommend it. So there we go. Now I did. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Just to remind everybody, uh, masterphotographypodcast.com is the new home for the show. You'll want to go there and check it out. We have plans to have more than just podcast episodes there. So you're going to want to make that part of your week potentially. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Regularly check it out. Um, Our Facebook group, if you search for Master Photography Podcast um, in Facebook, then you'll find it. Um, you can also still search for Improved Photography Podcast and have it show up. I, it may stay that way forever. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, we didn't want to like close the group and reopen it in order to have it say only master photography. So we wanted everyone to just be able to stay in there. And you you do have to ask to join the group um, just so we can keep the spammers and the uh, bots out of there. So the, you have to answer a question. And the question is what name a host on the podcast. So that could be me, Jeff or Connor um, or anyone else on the podcast network. And if you don't answer the question, unfortunately, we can't let you in. We'll we'll just delete your request to join. So answer the question. You'll get right in. It should be easy. Just have to prove you listen to the show and know the name of a host. All right. You can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com. The S stands for my wife, Susie. So jsharmanphotos.com. You can see my other podcast over at phototacopodcast.com. And I'd love to have you subscribe to that show too. Connor, where can people find you? Um, you can find my personal work. I, I have a website, connorhibbs.photography. You can find me on Instagram at connorhibbsphotography. Um, you can find the other podcast that I am a part of, which is Portrait Session. I almost said Photo Taco there. <laughs> you can you can find us on the web at portraitsessionpodcast.com. And just, again, go and subscribe to us there, Portrait Session. We're actually releasing our first episode this week um, back on our old feed. Um, the, the, if, in case you are a longtime listener to the show and you need to go back and resubscribe the album artwork has changed but the name has stayed the same so um, portraitsessionpodcast.com for that very good all right everybody thanks so much for listening if you would like to have the show keep going and we'd love to have you if you take a moment and subscribe to the master photography podcast that would really help us out and we will talk to you again in another seven days <laughs>